Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Go ahead, take out your copy of God's Word and join with me in the Gospel according to St. Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Now I know in your bulletins, as is my custom, you have my, uh, the, the points of my outline, but what I'm going to do in this setting is I'm going to try to teach you through exposition. Now what do I mean by that? Instead of going back and forth and hitting points, what I want to do is, is simply to show you the Word of God, ex allow you to experience it. And I will ask that you take down in your notes what strikes you. But before we do that, um, let's bow our hearts one more time. Heavenly Father, for this time I ask that you would empty us of ourselves, that you would separate us from anything that would separate us from knowing you more fully, Lord, in your expectation of us and in in what we bring to the table of your word. May we receive it joyfully. May it change us and challenge us. In the most holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. The scripture is full of sayings. It's one of those types that we'll need to consider a little by little in small chunks. We, last Sunday, as we were walking through Luke's Gospel, we saw this episode where he was in the city of Nain, which literally translates to pasture land. And we saw him raising a dead son and restoring him to his mother who was a widow. And we heard that because of this miracle in the sight of all the people of that city, that word of his mercy, word of his compassion, word of the fact that he was a God-ordained prophet, a messianic figure soon to be declared Messiah, word of him spread globally. It started with just the people that had witnessed it in that funeral procession. But as, as fast as the speed of rumors could carry it, they knew that a man of God was in their midst. They might have known not known fully just yet, but they knew that this man had a special anointing, a special power that only God could provide. Now, it's also worth mentioning here that as we get into this particular uh, part of God's Word, that John the Baptist is still a lot more popular than Jesus, the forerunner of Christ, a prophet who had been prophesied about, still had a, a greater following, a greater set of influence, unfortunately, because he had the audacity to go to one of the ruling uh, puppet families, puppet based on, on Rome pulling the strings, and call them out for their immoral behavior, he was put in prison. And he knew his days were numbered. He knew that chances were the headsman's axe would come to him uh, more sooner than later. And in the midst of his dungeon, he knew that his own ministry was closing. 
Yet this was also the man who was cousin to Jesus. In the large extended families of Israel, they grew up together. Mary and Elizabeth knew each other. From the instant that he came back out of exile of Egypt and returned to Nazareth, chances are that they had a close childhood together. He knew who this person was. He, remember, was the son of the high priest over Israel. He knew the scriptures. In fact, it was prophesied earlier in the Bible that he, a prophet in the Old Testament standard, would come to be a forerunner of the Messiah who would bring about a new covenant, a more perfect covenant, a covenant that would not only cleanse the people of their sins, but change them from the inside out. You once had the Word of God written on stone, but now the Word of God will be written where? On your hearts. An Old Testament prophet who was the turning point to the new covenant. So we read together, starting with verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. About the resurrection, about the mercy, about the healings. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? You see, he knew again that his time was drawing nigh and his crowds who were larger at this time than Jesus, uh, he, they had to be fed. They, their spiritual transformation could not stop because John was in prison. There was a new church that was about ready to be birthed in Israel. Lives were being changed. People were coming in repentance. They were demonstrating that repentance through the waters of baptism, a death to self and a rebirth in the Spirit. A new covenant was at hand, and he was, he was himself saying, I baptize you now with water, but one day there will be someone who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when his cousin Jesus came out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the Sin of the world. He knew. Prophet of God in the Old Testament standard. He knew who Jesus was. And yet like every prophet. From Moses to Malachi. He had a crisis of faith. Now in your, some of your commentaries. There are two interpretations of this passage. Interpretation is that. This questioning was not for John's sake. But for his followers sake. So that they would go out, they would see Jesus for themselves, they would experience His power, and they would naturally drift onto Jesus' disciples. But there's also the fact that this was a man who had done everything that he knew to do. He resisted all earthly temptations and pleasures. He didn't even eat a standard meal. The Bible tells us that he refused the, the, the priestly garb of his dad and instead chose the mantle made up of camel hair. And he ate locust and what? Wild honey. This was what he subsisted on. Effectively, it was a lifelong fast. I dedicate myself wholly to God. There's only two other people that I know of in the Old Testament that were so dedicated. One of them was the prophet Samuel. The other one was 
supposedly the Judge Samson, and we know how that one turned out. But in that kind of fierce dedication, we'll, we'll go with Samson, or excuse, Samuel as the example. Everything that he was from the moment that he was able to make his own decisions, everything was about God. In realizing the depravity of his own people, he baptized them as a sign of rejuvenation. This was usually a renewal. This was usually a, a, a ceremony that was reserved only for the priests, for the Levites at the time. They would go in before they entered into the holy place and they would be dipped in the, the bronze sea as a, a way of scriptural, or excuse me, ceremonial purification. But now John was taking that, having seen his own dad go through it multiple times, and the people that he would have hung around as the priesthood of that day, he saw that, he understood its symbolic meaning, and he took his own followers that he was gathering as a prophet of God, and he put them through the same thing as a sign of repentance and rededication back to the will of God. So here he was, having done everything that he knew to do, and yet the day of the Lord had not yet come. When was the justice going to be poured out? When is the Messiah going to take the throne of David that had been snatched away from the people of God by Rome? He was having a crisis of faith and he grew up with the Messiah. So he sends his followers out. Do, are you he who was promised? For we see you doing all these healings and signs and wonders. We, we see you fulfilling the prophecy of he who would uh, set the captive free, of he who, who would do all these wonderful things that Isaiah had promised. The very same text that Jesus read when he was in his hometown synagogue. But yet the day of the Lord had not yet come. So he's asking, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and the things that you have heard. So he's giving empirical evidence, the evidence of your own senses, and he's about to give scriptural evidence. He's about to reiterate the same thing that he declared before his hometown in the Nazareth synagogue. The blind have received sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy have been cleansed, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised. The good news, underline this in your copy of God's word because this is the point of the message that he is proclaiming. The good news is preached to the poor. These are the words of the prophet echoed back to him. So he now knows that Jesus, yes, is the Messiah. But this is a first coming. This is not the mission that you expect. It will not be accomplished all in one fell swoop. Jesus adds the words, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, more literally translated, those who do not take offense because of me. Blessed is anyone, in other words, who receives my message with all willingness of heart. Who the Holy Spirit has prepared. Blessed is the one who is transformed by the message of the gospel. The gospel of Christ. For the volume of the book is written of me. 
Jesus is giving John everything that he needs to take comfort. Even as his own death is approaching, he can say that his mission, being the forerunner of Christ, preparing the crowds, instilling within them the idea that they need to rededicate, rededicate often. For a church, for a New Testament church, that's one thing that we often forget. It's the fact that we have to rededicate often. That we have to be willing to renew. That any time that something from the old creeps into that which is new, we should be at the altar of our, our hearts on just about a daily basis, if not more frequently. So Jesus responds, both with the evidence of their eyes and the evidence of the text. This was his mission. First, to free the people from their sin. And then in one day, as we're studying about on Wednesday night, to return and restore the whole earth back to the God who originally created it. But not both at the same time. That was the reason that he was rejected by many. The people of his day wanted a political king. They wanted a political Messiah. They wanted someone in Moses' image to not only care for them in the name of God, but to also free them from slavery. A slavery to Rome in this point in time. They saw themselves as slaves in their own kingdom. So they were looking for the day of the Lord as a day of vengeance of themselves. But Jesus is producing evidence of something far greater. Israel's working definition, their heartfelt definition of their Messiah was limited because Jesus' influence is not small, confined to that one plot of ground, but is global. Now, as we consider that, I want you to take it into something else. When Jesus says, blessed is him who, who doesn't take offense at me or who isn't offended by me, who doesn't stumble because of me, a lot of us in this church do Bible reading through the year. I want to challenge you to do something when January rolls around. Anytime you see something in the Word of God that either doesn't make sense to you or that you take offense at, I want you to underline it or highlight it or put Christmas tree lights around it. Whatever you have to do so that the next time you go through the Bible it will catch your attention. One of the fastest ways to take advantage of sanctification or the maturing of a believer is to, when you're delving in God's Word, find the passages that don't make sense and then do your homework on those passages, especially the passages that you personally take offense to. Because if you do your homework, if you try to understand what God has in store for you, you will mature as a Christian very quickly. More than that, if you take a special look at those that you find objectionable, The reason that you find it objectionable if you're in Christ is one of two causes. Either A, it's because you don't understand it yet and you need to do your homework. Or B, it's because you're conflicted and either God is right or you are right. Anyone want to take a bet on who is actually right? <laughs> but keep this in mind. When you're going through the Word of God at breakneck speed, which is unfortunately the way that we do a Bible in a year, that's a good goal but I, I challenge you to only do it once or twice through the course of your time with us here. And while you're doing that, while you're doing the quick survey, jot down the things that either A, you find confusing, or B, you take offense at, that your sensibilities flare up at. 
And the next time you go through the Bible, do it much more slowly, much more considerately. And do your homework. And I guarantee you, you will be blessed for it. Continuing on with verse 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Incidentally, in the background, uh, Luke is going to tell us that now that John's uh, disciples have left to give the report, now come the Pharisees. So one interpretation was, you haven't restored the kingdom, are you the Messiah? The other one is, he's a false teacher because he's not after own ilk. Let me put it this way too. And we'll draw this to a close here. Because I recognize that you have to get back and spend time with your families because this is a precious day. And I hope you take advantage of it. But one of the things that Jesus is going to talk about is what did you expect when you went out to see John? Did you expect to see someone like a reed shaking in the wind who would toss and turn back and forth at every little social change because he wants to be popular, because that wasn't John the Baptist. You want, you, did you go out expecting to see a reed? What you saw is a tall, strong oak. Someone who had not only strength of character, but grounding and rootedness in God. Did you want to see someone who was dressed up in finery, who was rich, to tell you that if you just had enough faith, if you just name it or claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever, then you can be the way that I am. Dressed in finery. Clothed in money. Well, no, that wasn't John either. Did you go out wanting to see a prophet of God who would not compromise the word of truth? Men. There was a, pro, uh, a writer from back home, Jesse Stewart, who once wrote this definition of manhood. I wish that he'd incorporated Christ into it, but he didn't. In one of his short stories, he writes the phrase, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. And when you understand that, you're fitting to be a man. And yes, that's the way they talk down there. But the definition of strength of character for those of us who are blessed and challenged by the call to be dads is precisely that. What is your character? John stands as an example to those of us who are trying to be fathers, not because he was a father himself, because the Scripture doesn't tell us as such. But he stands as an example because he was wholly dedicated to the difference between right and wrong. To an objective truth that says that no matter what nation I'm in, no matter what culture I'm in, no matter what the expectations are in the people in front of me, God must always come first. And I am willing to lay down everything that I am, everything that I have, everything I hope to be in this life. Am I willing to lay down for it? What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Strength tempered by wisdom. 
conviction tempered by the Word of God. Love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, patience, self-control. All of these wonderful things are the virtues that we need to hold fast to. No matter what the calling is between ourselves and our families. If you want to be a difference, if you want to make a solid difference in your families, do what is necessary first. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the third great commandment, the one that Jesus himself gave the night that he was betrayed, love one another as I have loved. And by this they will know you are my disciples. The people outside this church, the people outside your family, your own children, your own wife, they will know you are my disciples by the way they see you loving one another. They will know you by the power and by the far-reaching, agape, self-sacrificing trueness and purity of your love. Carry this with you not just on Father's Day, but every day. The challenge that we are left with when we consider John the Baptist, the pivot point between the Old Testament prophets and the New Covenant Messiah is this. Put God first and let everything else fall into place in accordance with God's will. And you will be surprised, I guarantee you, how everything comes together if you remember where to put First things first. And all God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we draw to a close the service of the word. Lord, again, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. For loving us with that self-sacrificing agape love. For laying everything down. So that your children may come to know you, may have a relationship with you, so that those who don't deserve the honor of being your children are made part of the family of God. Help us to be better examples to our families. Help us to be brothers and sisters to each other. In a world that denies truth, help us to stand for it boldly not with condemnation, but with love. And for those within the sound of my voice that have yet to come to know you in that love, Lord, who don't yet know the full embrace of their Heavenly Father, for those who don't yet have a church home and are seeking, for those who have a burden that has been weighing on their heart for so long, as we enter into the time of invitation, this altar is open, this table is there for anyone to come and to receive the warmth of your embrace. Draw unto to yourself any that would lay it down to take up their cross and follow you, to be loved by you. Be with us now. Strengthen us for what is ahead. And may this family grow, both in number in wisdom and in love.
the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.